This show is supported by State Farm. You have insurance for your home, your health, and your car. Why don't you have insurance for your small business? So many small business owners think they don't need or don't even know about small business insurance. Protecting a source of revenue is one thing, but so is protecting all of your hard work and your team members. State Farm agents are all small business owners too, so they know how to help small business owners choose personalized policies that fit their budgets. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. If your roof starts to leak or your floor's really squeaky, you live in a money pit. Money pit. If your basement needs a pump or your place looks like a dump, you live in a money pit. Money pit. Pick up the telephone, fix up your home sweet home by calling 888 Money Pit. Coast to coast and floorboard to shingles, this is the Money Pit Home Improvement Show. I'm Tom Kreitler. And I'm Leslie Segretti. Pick up the phone, get us a call right now with your home improvement projects. What do you have planned for the new year? What would you like to get done? Call us because we can help. The number is 1-888-MONEY-PIT. Well, for 2020, more and more homeowners are taking on do-it-yourself projects, which is fantastic. But if you're frustrated because it seems like you can never get your project done, a survey shows you got a lot of company. We're going to share some tips on how to move those projects along just ahead. And if you're starting out in your first home or apartment, but maybe you don't have a budget to spruce it up, we've got some tips for makeovers that require little to absolutely no cash. And if space is an issue, and for everyone, I guess, I mean, for who, who doesn't have <laughs> sure problems is. with space, especially if you got kids. But we've got a solution for that, too. We're going to talk about how you can take one very big room and make it into two with a partition wall. We'll have that step-by-step just ahead. But first, we want to hear what your plans are for the new year. Give us a call. Let us know what you are working on and how we can help you tackle those New Year's home improvement resolutions. The number is 1-888-MONEYPIT, 888-666-3974. Joellen and Georgia, you've got the Money Pit. What can we do for you today? Oh, hey, um, when we built our house, the doors were not built square. And so now when we push the doors to, not shut them completely, but just push them to, the doors drift open because they're not level. Uh-huh. They're leaning, so huh? one- Yes, yeah. Mm-hmm. So I'm wondering if there's a way to fix that other than tear off the door jams. Well, does this really, really bother you? Yes, it really bothers me because my son likes to keep the door shut because when he's playing his video games, mm-hmm. but I don't like it shut completely because I like to peek in on him, make sure that he's behaving himself. <laughs> That's a smart mom there. All right, I'm going to give you a trick <laughs> of the trade. It's a little destructive, okay. but it will work, okay? okay? If you pull the hinge pins out mm-hmm. of this door, and mm-hmm. if you lay them down like on a concrete surface, and you mm-hmm. take your hammer and you give one a whack, you're going to bend it. On purpose, Mm -hmm. just ever so slightly. And then when you stick that back into the hinge, it's going to have tension on it. And so that means that it'll, it'll, there won't be as easy to open and close that door. It'll, it'll swing a little stiffer. So you can kind of experiment, maybe do it with one hinge pin and see if it makes a difference. And then you can try the others. But, um, remember though, if you decide that you want to loosen it up and spray it with WD-40 or something like that, it's all going to come back. Okay. So, well, that's a good idea because then if I bend it too much, I can loosen it back up with a little bit of WD-40. Yeah, there you go. It's going to go both ways. Because <laughs> right, I'm very powerful with a hammer. <laughs> well, there you go. Yeah, if you slightly bend it, you'll put a little tension on it. Okay. All right. Great. Well, thanks so much. One time we do give you permission to bang things with hammers. Yes. And loudly, please. Matt from Arkansas is on the line with an issue with a leaky toilet. What's going on? 
my sister-in-law bought um, like a resort, and I'm helping her do some things around there. And one of the tenants had complained about the commode leaking, and and I got my hands underneath there. It's such a small space, I couldn't get my head in there and really look around. But it looked like to me that maybe it was coming out of the uh, bolt holes where the tank and the bolt connect. So I thought maybe the washers and, and, and the grommets were, were bad. So I thought I would just replace those. And while I was there, I was going to go ahead and rebuild the tank itself, you know, with a new flow meter, new inlet line, a new inlet valve, and that kind of thing. And then once I got the tank off the bowl to remove the flush valve and put a new uh, donut gasket on it, I noticed a small crack at the bottom there, but I couldn't get my fingernail in it. Okay. But I didn't, I didn't notice any cracking at the bottom, the same area on inside of the bowl. I mean, I'm sorry, inside of the tank. Right. So I thought if I just build everything, put in new grommets and all that, I, I should be okay. But I'm still getting the same leak, and it, and it appears as though it's coming from the bowl holes, but I thought maybe could the water actually seep through the tank, and that actually is a crack? So it's possible, first of all, with respect to the crack, what you want to do is get a, um, a two-part epoxy or a silicone caulk and just seal over that space. One mistake that's really easy to make when you're uh, attaching the bowl to the tank is to get the, uh, to get the, all of the washers, the rubber washers in particular, in the right order. So make sure you look carefully at the diagram that comes with the flush and the fill valve to make sure when you put it back together, you are getting all of the washers in the right places, both uh, on the outside surfaces and in between. Um, the leak right. that you are seeing, do you think it's coming from the bottom of the tank? Because you mentioned also the bolt, the holes. I think you were talking about the bolts where it's attached to the floor. Or is it uh, perhaps leaking out around the floor, which is, frankly, a more likely space? No, I'm sorry. It, it's I'm, the the leak I'm having is the problem between the bowl and the tank. Everything everything at the the where the tank. I'm sorry, where the bowl goes to the floor looks fine. What I would tell you to do is, if you've got that all apart and you've replaced all those, you replace that. Is, is again, you need to look very carefully at the diagram to make sure you got it all right. And then when you tighten it up, there's huh. a little trick to it, and that is, you want to tighten it evenly because you'll notice that if you tighten too much on one side. It'll sort of pull it down more on that side and leave the other side up. So you want to, like, tighten it by kind of going back and forth across all those bolt holes to make sure you pull it okay. down evenly. And if you're doing it right I, I, and there's no crack in the tank, then that should do it. If there is a crack in the tank, uh, siliconing across those visible areas will stop that from happening. Okay, yeah, because, see, I couldn't get my finger in the crack or what appeared to be the crack on the bottom of the tank. But I didn't know if maybe since maybe the toilet's just so old that the porcelain is allowing that water to seep through and it's actually a crack. And and the, the problem also I ran into is this is not your standard two-bolt tank-to-bowl. It's a three-bolt tank-to-bowl. Right, yeah. And I even tried to use a, a use a level to make sure that I was, you know, going back and forth and not doing one too much than the other. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah, by the way, um, there is a type of epoxy that I've used to seal holes in tanks, too. It's called PC7. You can find it online in hardware stores, Amazon, and basically it comes in a tube and there's caps on both ends of the tube and one side is like white and one side's like gray. And you want to use like a, you know, a popsicle stick or the, the uh, end of a spoon, you know, the handle end of a spoon or something like that or a screwdriver to dig in there. You grab a little dab from both sides and you mix it together. And when okay. you put that stuff on, smear it across that crack, it's going to make a permanent seal. 
That stuff is so okay. powerful. I've actually sealed radiators with it that were leaking. <laughs> sure, and that's easier than trying to find a three-bolt hole tank or buying an entirely new toilet. I had a type of, t- of toilet that was made by American Standard called Ventaway that had an extra hole in it, and I actually took a rubber um, stopper like you might use in a big uh, slop sink, and I used that sure. PC7, I glued it in place, and <laughs> it lasted for years. <laughs> Well, maybe I'll just drain the tank and put the PC7 in there and see what happens. I can have nothing to lose. (laughs) Exactly. All right. Hey, good luck with that project. You are tuned to the Money Pit Home Improvement Radio Show. Give us a call 24 hours a day, seven days a week, right here at 888-MONEY-PIT. We want to hear what you are working on and help you get that project done. And still to come, more and more homeowners are taking on home improvement projects, which is great. But if you're frustrated because you can't seem to get your project done, a recent survey shows you've got a lot of company. We'll have those details after this. You live in a Money Pit. Did you know that Americans take 20,000 breaths a day and spend an average of 90% of their time indoors? That's right. And according to the EPA, the level of indoor air pollutants can be two to five times higher than outdoor air and occasionally more than 100 times higher. Plus, every spring we get socked with allergens too. Well, Air Doctor is an air purifier that filters out dangerous contaminants like pollen, pet dander, dust mites, and mold. Their Ultra HEPA filter has been independently tested to remove 99.99% of tested allergens, including bacteria and viruses. That's impressive. Now, Air Doctor also comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee. So if you don't love it, just send it back for a refund minus the shipping. And they're offering a special discount to Money Pit listeners. Just head to airdoctorpro.com and use promo code MONEYPIT, and you'll receive up to $300 off air purifiers. Exclusive to podcast customers, you'll also receive a free three-year warranty on any unit, which is an additional $84 value. Lock this special offer in right now by going to A-I-R-D-O-C-T-O-R-Pro.com and use promo code MONEYPIT. That's airdoctorpro.com, promo code MONEYPIT. This show is supported by State Farm. Insurance is a part of any solid financial plan. Making sure you have the important things in life covered is one of the best ways to give yourself a little breathing room when things go awry. It's important to protect not only your business, but yourself as a business owner and all current and future team members. State Farm agents know what it takes to run and protect a small business because State Farm agents are all small business owners and they live and work in your community. So they're deeply attuned to what's happening with other small businesses in your market. If you have a small business and are interested in making sure you're protected, reach out to your local State Farm agent to learn more about what you need. They'll help you find the right policy at the right price for your business. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. The Money Pit is presented by HomeAdvisor.com. Whether it's minor repairs or major remodels, leave it to HomeAdvisor to do the work. Check out HomeAdvisor.com. Making good homes better. Welcome back to the Money Pit Home Improvement Show. I'm Tom Kreitler. And I'm Leslie Segretti. Happy holidays. Happy New Year. Have you uh, committed to some New Year's resolutions, Leslie? <laughs> no. I always think I'm going to. I'm like, I'm going to work out. I'm going to be nicer. I'm going to, you know, be more patient. It never works. And I just give up on them right away. <laughs> my theory is to take on resolutions. I know I will get done. So one of them is to improve my shop. 
Oh, that's excellent. <laughs> you will definitely do that. 888-666-3974 is the phone number. If you've got a project, maybe a home resolution you'd like to tackle, give us a call because we'd love to help. Now we've got Stephanie in Massachusetts on the line who's got a question about installing a window. What's going on? We're wanting to replace um, a living room window that's about 8 by 4 It's the typical picture-type window, the larger in, in the middle with the two end windows. Um, it's a flat window. We were going to replace it with a bay window. Okay. Um, it, we wanted to do the construction type, the whole thing out, so we could replace the wood around it in the interior. Okay. Mike, um, I guess I could have a couple of questions. The company wants to do it the end of January, and I'm wondering if that's advisable because it's a little more complicated than we first realized. You know, how so? do it. Well, in order to do it for the roof to be able to support the window, they're they're talking, and I think they said L V L type beam that stretches yes. across. Yeah, yeah, laminated beam. Mm-hmm. And um, you know the way it is now, uh, it wouldn't you know it wouldn't be enough support. So they need to do that, um, which I guess involves a little more an engineer. You know, the town has to approve it, etc. And um, so we're just wondering, um, uh, your thoughts on it, is this something that, are there risks involved? Um, Should it be done this time of year? Uh, Would we be better to wait for better weather? First of all, this kind of project could be done at any time of the year. There's always going to be a risk when you open up uh, an exterior wall to the weather. If you have a really good contractor, they can plan so that the amount of time that the house is actually opened up is very minimal. So, for example, if I was doing this project and I was replacing a header, it is a big project, by the way, you are correct, um, I would do all the work from the inside, uh, especially replacing that uh, that header. But you, you'd build a temporary wall to support the weight from above, and you could pretty much do most of this before you break the outside seal, so to speak. And once you're ready to do this, and assuming that you've got everything measured properly and you have all your materials uh, in place and you've got a good day where it's not raining, you know, you can pull that window out and replace it in a fairly short period of time. But it all comes down to the quality of the contractor and their experience with doing this kind of project. If they don't plan it properly, yeah, you could be stuck with a hole in the wall for days on end. So uh, if you're confident that you've got a good pro, then I think there's no reason not to do it now. No reason. And the my husband was concerned about the weight-bearing aspect of the window. We didn't realize that with regard to the roof. If you're getting a permit and you're getting, uh, if they're, if the town is requiring an engineer to review it, then I think then that should solve the issue as long as it, you know, having an engineer involved is a smart thing because they'll spec out what has to be done and uh, the contractors have to follow those directions. Okay. And the other issue is we're still... Um wavering about whether we... Are you should... living in a church? No, no, that's just my, <laughs> that's my clock. <laughs> Very nice. All right, well, good luck with that project. Thanks so much for calling us at 888 Money Pit. Well, more and more homeowners are taking on DIY projects, but if you're frustrated because you can't seem to get your projects done, you've got a lot of company. In a recent survey of 700 homeowners between the ages of 25 and 45, more than half respondents said they've got unfinished tasks they need to complete. 
Um, now, most had one or two projects, but about 18% had five or more projects in various stages of completion. And I got to tell you, that definitely includes me. Really? Sure. Uh, I mean, I always got a bunch of stuff going on. I don't know. I feel like I always have to sit down, start something and finish it. But the main issue, I think, for everybody is time. You know, more than three quarters of the respondents said they just didn't have enough time. And the other people said they didn't have enough money. Now, it's really easy to let your life get in the way of those half-finished projects, so you want to make sure that your projects are reaching the finish line. So let us help you do that. First of all, you've got to plan a timeline when you don't have a lot of other stuff on your plate. You know, it always seems like, I've got all these things going, let me start one more, even though procrastinating or sort of that threat of all the things can be a motivating factor, you need to sort of really plan a project with a very specific deadline. Maybe it's an anniversary or a holiday or something. All of that kind of stuff just adds stress. So pick a realistic timeline. And you also want to make sure to make a budget and stick to it. You've got to purchase all of your supplies and those materials before you actually begin. This way, when you begin, you can actually finish. Do you remember the uh, the guy that we talked to a while ago? I called him the, the five-trip rule guy. He figured that if you get the project done within five trips to the hardware store, <laughs> he was ahead of hiring a pro <laughs> for his plumbing project. So whatever your rule is, be realistic. Don't bite off more than you can chew. Plan time to work on your project until it is done. In other words, do as we say and not as we do. 888-666-3974. Give us a call right now with your home improvement project. Jordan in Rhode Island is on the line with a question about flooring. What can we do for you today? So I had a contractor come in and install a floating floor. It's an engineered hardwood. It's on uh, top of some uh, concrete. And I've noticed the jointing uh, from the get-go wasn't very good, and there's kind of some loose spacing between each joint. My question is, is that going to get worse over time, or is it something that I can just kind of deal with, or is that going to get progressively worse. Well, a little bit of space in that type of floor is not a bad thing, especially when you get to the summer and uh, the material gets damp, it will tend to swell because if it's too tightly installed, it will actually buckle up and we get more complaints about that than uh, than gaps that are too large. So uh, given that it's very cold right now, I don't think it's a bad thing. Yeah. Okay. Um, you know, there, I can just see, I can physically see between some of the gaps, like the almost the concrete beneath it, like it's probably maybe a sixteenth of an inch of a gap. So, in other words, the tongue and the groove are not even adhered. It's that it's that much that much space in between. Yeah, it's like borderline. Unfortunately, it's it's hard to describe. But I'll tell you what, you can do. Why don't you take take a picture of it and uh, put it post it to the Money Pit's Facebook page at, at facebook.com slash the Money Pit, and make sure you let me know. Let us know. Uh, what the manufacturer is, and let us look up the installation instructions for you and determine if that looks normal or not. All right, that's what I'll do. I appreciate it. All right, well, good luck with that project. Kathy in Florida, you've got the money pit. How can we help you today? I have a problem, not I, but my daughter has a problem with her sliding doors. Okay. It's, um, uh, in winter, it's awfully drafty. And on a previous show, you mentioned a product to put on that you can peel off in springtime very easily, and that seals the doors and windows. But I did not get the name, so that's why I'm calling back if you remember that or if you can help me with this problem. No. Kathy, it's a very common product that we talk about often. It's um, DAP has one. It's called Seal and Peel Caulk. A lot of different manufacturers make one, but... 
once she seals this door, you know, it's not something that you're going to want to peel off and, and, you know, reapply. Is this a door that she uses often or could she like call this doorway closed for the season? No, she doesn't use it in winter at all. Okay. So then you could seal it off for the winter as long as, and the thing that concerns me though, in, in telling you this is while you can seal it off for the winter, you're also sort of sealing it shut. So if this is an emergency exit out of the house in the event of a fire or something like that, you know, you might not want to do this, but the product is a weather stripping caulk. It's clear. It looks like silicone, but it's not. And you essentially caulk drafty windows or doors. And then in the spring, you peel it off and it doesn't damage the underlying door. But like I said, because it's a door, we don't recommend that you seal it shut because then you won't be able to get out. And, you know, that's a good option if the draft is coming in from around the door, like in the operable parts, the doorway itself, for lack of a better area to describe. If you feel that the draft is coming from the glass itself, there's also those clear sheetings that you can attach in addition to sealing off the other part that you sort of blow dry in place that sort of seals off you know, an additional layer if the draft is coming through the glass as well. And, you know, a combination of those two things might work. It's shrink film, and it would attach to the outside frame of the door. Uh, it sort of has like a double-faced tape attachment, and then you heat it with a hairdryer, and it shrinks and pulls really tight and taut. And, of course, that would stop the drafts, but in the event you had to get out in an emergency, you just break through and, and, and go on out. All right, Kathy, so I hope that those are some good ideas that helps uh, you and your daughter out. Thanks so much for calling us at 888 Money Pit. You can reach us 24-7 anytime. Give us a call at 888 Money Pit. Hey, if you'd like your new place to look good, but your budget is already strained, we've got some tips for makeovers that require little to absolutely no cash next. Everyone should know that drinking water is important to staying hydrated and healthy. Having safe, clean water is the last thing you want to worry about, but unfortunately, according to extensive research by the Environmental Working Group, three out of four homes in America have harmful contaminants right in its tap water. That's why we are thrilled to be working with AquaTrue. AquaTrue purifiers use a four-stage reverse osmosis purification process, and their countertop purifiers work with no installation or plumbing. It removes 15 times more contaminants than ordinary pitcher filters and is specifically designed to combat chemicals like PFAs in your water supply. And they have water purifiers to fit every type of home, from installation-free countertop purifiers to higher-capacity under-sink options. They even have a Wi-Fi-connected purifier and mineral boost options. And its proprietary purification technology is independently tested by IATMO to NSF and ANSI standards to remove over 80 of the most harmful contaminants, including chlorine, fluoride, arsenic, PFAs known as forever chemicals, nitrate, and many more. I can truly taste the difference when I compare it with my old water filter. AquaTrue saves you money also. Just one set of filters from their classic purifier makes the equivalent of 4,500 bottles of water. That's less than three cents a bottle. Plus, you'll save the environment from tons of plastic waste. AquaTrue comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee and even makes a great gift. And today, Money Pit listeners can receive 20% off any AquaTrue purifier. Just go to aquatrue.com. That's A-Q-U-A-T-R-U.com and enter code MONEYPIT at checkout. That's 20% off any AquaTrue water purifier when you go to aquatrue.com and use promo code M-O-N-E-Y-P-I-T. Money Pit.
Where home solutions live, this is the Money Pit Home Improvement Show. I'm Tom Kreitler. And I'm Leslie Segretti. Happy New Year. Is there a project that you would like to get done in this new year? Give us a call. We'd love to talk it through with you and give you some tips and advice to help you get it done as quickly and efficiently as you can. 888-666-3974. Now we've got Sakari on the line who's dealing with some mold issues. Tell us what's going on. I have a half basement, half dirt, and the rest is cement. And there's a crack in the brickwork, but it doesn't go all the way through. But it must be enough so you can, it seeps through. We've measured it, and it hasn't moved the crack. But water every once in a while, when it rains really hard, comes through the wall, and you can see it's all wet. But... Upstairs, what it's doing is causing, like, the vents to get rusted, and my tile bars are wooden, so I'm constantly, every few months, uh, spraying it with bleach or Tylex to get the mold off, and then painting it over with kills that I thought would stop the mold from coming through, but it doesn't. So you got a major moisture problem going on in this house, right? Right. It seems that way, too. And so I was worried about the mold, so I brought that test kit from um, Lowe's that tells you and sent it in, and they analyzed it and said that we weren't in danger of any mold, but I'm always seeing mold, like on the shower curtain, the dish drains, and everything. So. Yeah, well, there's different kinds of mold, and the kind of mold that you have on shower curtains and dish drains is something called cladosporium, which is really common household mold, and unless you're super sensitive to it, it generally doesn't cause a threat. But let's talk about the moisture issue because this is a situation, Sakari, where you need to learn how to better manage the moisture that's in your house. Now, I think that the moisture is starting in the basement because obviously you're getting water in that crack when it rains heavily. And the fact that the water is consistent with the rainfall is actually good news because that means that this is a relatively simple problem to fix. You have too much water collecting in the area immediately adjacent to your foundation, that foundation perimeter zone. And so what you need to do is really two things. Number one, I want you to look at your gutters. Do you have gutters on your roof? Yeah, we have gutters and we keep those pretty cleaned out. We actually even put the um, the, the leaf uh, protectors so that we, they wouldn't over you know overflow. And it's fairly new. The gutters, they're, well, I guess they might be like ten years old, but they're in really good shape. They need to be extended. Well, that's supposed to be like a hose thing under the ground that goes out well, from the house. The fact so. that you said supposedly means you're not really sure, and that's mission critical. You need to be absolutely certain that that water is not leaking out anywhere near that foundation perimeter. If it is, that roof is collecting water and shooting it into your foundation. It's crystal clear to me that you have too much water around your house. How that's happening, I'm not sure. But the number one culprit is usually downspouts. And so if that water is not discharged away from the house, and I'll tell you an easy way that you could check this, that is disconnect the downspouts from the underground pipes and just go add buy a, uh, three or four pieces of leader material from your local home center. Let it run out over the grass so that the water is away from the house. It won't look good for you know a few weeks, but at least you'll be able to know when it rains, the water is absolutely not getting around the foundation perimeter. And if you discharge that water and you're certain it's not near the foundation and it doesn't show up in the basement, well, now you know the solution to your problem. Somehow in those underground drains, it's being it's leaking out and redirecting in, into that foundation area. The second part of that is looking at the grading and making sure that the soil slopes away from the wall. You want it to drop about six inches over four feet. And if it's too flat or if it's too mulchy or there's any kind of uh, landscaping that's retaining water against the house, that's a problem. But I say that in most cases, 80% of this is gutters and downspouts and 20% of it is grading unless you just happen to be at the bottom of a hill. If this was sourced by by a rising water table, it would not be consistent with rainfall. 
But the fact that it rains heavy and you get water in the basement, it's got to be associated with water collecting around the foundation. You just need to figure out where and how it's getting there. All right, then. Maybe maybe because we have a lot of trees, maybe some roots did grow and puncture those, um, that down stuff that's underneath the ground. So you're saying buy some liter and let that run out and see right. when it rains hard. I got you. I got you. Right out of the top, just to test it, just to test the theory and see what happens, okay? And, you know, if, if you wanted to invest the money, you could have a, a drain cleaning service run a camera down those pipes and see where they're actually broken. But let's just figure out where it is first and then take it from there. Sakari, thanks so much for calling us at 888 Money Pit. Well, hey, if you're just starting out in your first home or apartment, or maybe you're just on a really limited budget, there are ways to stretch that budget along with your creative muscles to create a place that you're really going to be proud to call home. And you can do that by repurposing what you already have, or perhaps some items that you have appropriated from maybe your friend's or your family's house, right? (laughs) Yep. And you know what the first step is? It's experimentation. You've got to look at what you already have and then have some fun moving it around the house. Maybe try one piece from one room and test drive it in another. Experimenting with creating these vignettes, you know, groups of three or five really look best to the eye when you've got side tables or chests. That's how I always sort of dress things. Never an even number of things in a grouping. Always an odd. Seven seems too much. Five seems perfect. Three is great. So stick to those odd numbers. And the key here, guys, is to not worry about matching. You know, designers, for the most part, despise sets of furniture. We really like to find pieces that work well together, sort of complement each other, something that feels, you know, one feels old, one feels found, one feels new. As long as they're in the same scale and sort of play nicely together, it's going to work. Now, you can even carry this idea into the bedroom by buying single sheets, pillowcases, shams, anything really that's on sale. This way you can create a custom look for your bed mix and match the colors, the patterns, all of that. As long as you sort of play with the scale, one big, one small, a solid, it's all going to work with the bedding. Now, you also should think about using baskets. These are awesome for storage in small spaces, and the woven design gives kind of a nice texture and warmth, especially if you've got an apartment with white or off-white walls, which, frankly, most of them already do, right? You can get these baskets also at a very low cost at off-price stores. Vintage baskets are also fine. You may want to spot some of those in flea markets. Or perhaps if you are like stooping, looking around at things that people are tossing out on recycling day or the day they pick up all the furniture, you can find some pretty cool shapes of baskets then as well. Yeah, you know what, guys, with a little imagination and some willingness to bend the rules a bit, there's really no reason why your apartment or home can't be a place that you love coming home to. I mean, that's really what the point is. You want to make a place that looks good, feels good, and is totally your own. We've got more tips for budget decor on MoneyBit.com. Still to come, we've got a project that will help you make one big room into two. It's a perfect solution to adding another bedroom without a big addition. The Money Pit continues after this. The Money Pit is presented by HomeAdvisor.com. Whether it's minor repairs or major remodels, leave it to HomeAdvisor to do the work. Check out HomeAdvisor.com. Where home solutions live, welcome back to the Money Pit Home Improvement Show. I'm Tom Kreitler. And I'm Leslie Segretti. And welcome to the first show for us for 2020. We are so excited to be celebrating our 20th year on the air, helping home improvers across the country make those homes the special places that we all want them to be. If there's a project 
that will connect you with your house. It will make it more comfortable, make it more spacious, make it more organized that we can help you with. Give us a call right now at 1-888-MONEYPIT because that's what we do. All right, now we've got Kurt in North Carolina on the line who's working on a restoration. Tell us about the project. I've got uh, two-by-six floor joists spanning 15 feet, and I'd like to know if I rip some three-quarter-inch plywood and sister it up against the two-by-sixes and glue and screw it, if that would be sufficient. My crawl space has six vents under the floor, and I want to seal them up. I read it doesn't need uh, cross-ventilation. It's kind of old school, and I'd put six mil poly on the ground. Your thoughts, please. All right. Well, first of all, in terms of uh, beefing up the floor joists, sistering the floor joists by doubling them, I don't necessarily think I would use plywood on them. I would double them. Would it be flimsy? Well, I mean, it may not be flimsy, but the thing is, if you want to sister a floor joist and help support it, you need to go from bearing point to bearing point. So if it's going from a girder to an exterior wall, the sister beam has to go the same length. You know, another thing that you could do, Kurt, is you could run another girder at the midpoint of that 15 feet from end to end. Now, it doesn't necessarily have to be has to be as strong as the main girder for the house because you're really just taking the flex out of it. So if you poured a small footing underneath it, you know, and just got something in there to kind of stiffen the floor, that would take the bounce out. Right. Yeah, I thought about that on the uh, main floor, but my second story, I didn't want to you know, like put a glue lamb in. I only have like seven feet, five inches to ceiling height. I understand. So, you know, doubling them is a solution as well as using a mid-span girder. All right, sir. I appreciate the information. You're welcome, Kurt. Thanks so much for calling us at 888 Money Pit. Well, with an economy really dictating that more people improve than move, homeowners are getting creative with ways to get the most out of their homes. Yeah, and one idea is to turn one big room into two smaller rooms by building what's called a partition wall. Now, it's a fairly basic do-it-yourself project that you can do with just a few steps. First off, many times, in fact, most of the time, those partition walls are non-load-bearing walls, which is great, and they're just used to separate living space. They're usually built when a home is initially constructed, but they can easily be added after the fact to sort of divvy up the space if you keep a few things in mind before jumping in. Now, here are a few things that you've got to keep in mind before you do jump in. Now, before you divide that room, you want to make sure that once you create those two new halves, that everybody can get in and out in an equal and sort of fair way. You don't want somebody walking into one room to get to the other. So you've got to, you know, if you need to, add a second entry door. Whatever you've got to do, just make sure everybody's got an equal and fair way to get inside. Also, you want to keep your home's value in mind. You're not going to instantly improve your home's value by changing a two-bedroom house into a three-bedroom home if one of those rooms is divided. In fact, dividing that room could actually decrease the home value if it isn't consistent with those other three-bedroom homes that are available in the area. And you've also got to think about all the mechanical systems that go into the house. Don't forget to consider things like the heating, the cooling, electrical wiring. You want to make sure that everything is going to equally serve both sides of this newly divided room. And then watch out for things like light switches. If they're wired to a ceiling fixture or outlet, you might need to rewire them so that both sides of the newly divided room can, you know, independently control whatever fixtures or outlets they need to. Yep. Now, finally, if you think, if you're really thinking ahead here and you think that maybe you want to convert this space back to one full-size room in the future, like maybe you're just doing it now because the kids are young, but perhaps at some point in the future, maybe even if you want to sell the house, you sort of have taken away from the value by 
you know, hacking up a room that normally wouldn't be quite so small. Well, just think about that now. Everything you put together can be taken apart. Just make sure that when you're assembling, use screws, right? I mean, don't use nails. Use screws to put it all together on the framing side. I mean, for the drywall, obviously, you can tear that out. But if you screw the framing together, you could easily unscrew it. So you can put it right on top of the floor. I've seen partition walls on top of existing hardwood floors and underneath finished drywall ceilings. But just screw it together with long, case-hardened drywall screws that everybody uses for framing and other types of construction today. And then you can disassemble it when it's time to restore the room to its former size. Sandra in South Dakota has a question about tile flooring. How can we help you with your project? We bought a house that was built in 78, and I don't think it's been updated since then. And I want to start my redo with my bathroom. All right. And I've been wondering, I don't know whether I should go porcelain or ceramic, or I'm stuck on what type of tile I should use. Okay. So I see here uh, that you told our screener that you want a tile that can hold up to cats, dogs, and kids. Yes. Either porcelain or ceramic will work, but porcelain will be very expensive uh, for you. And and ceramic tile, there's so many options in it. And as long as you get a glazed tile and that you use an epoxy grout, that combination will be very easy to clean. Okay, great. Thank you very much. All right, thanks so much for calling into the Money Pit. You can reach us here anytime, 24-7 at 888-MONEY-PIT. Hey, are you starting to feel the chill of those very cold floors this winter season? We're going to solve that problem for Sarah when we come back. Live in a Money Pit. Thanks to State Farm for supporting this show and helping our listeners protect their businesses and lives. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Making good homes better. Welcome back to the Money Pit Home Improvement Show. I'm Tom Kreitler. And I'm Leslie Segretti. Let's jump into the uh, emails that we got. One from Sarah, uh, who looks like a podcast listener. Yeah, she says, I listen to your show on iTunes and I really appreciate the helpful tips. Now, Sarah says, here's my question. I have a tile floor in my kitchen. It doesn't have any in-floor heating. Are there any good products that could be put on the underside of the subfloor in the basement to help heat the floor and the room some? Well, I mean, yeah, it's kind of a major deal, though, Sarah. I mean, if you've got a hot water heating system in the rest of the house, you could certainly add a zone using PEX tubing. That's that white flexible tubing now that is really replacing copper all across the country. And the way it's installed is it's basically attached to the subfloor underneath that formerly chilly tile floor in the kitchen. And when the system is on, and it can be on its own zone, by the way, too, you could have a special thermostat just for that. Uh, it will warm up that floor. Uh, now, it can also be mounted from the kitchen side, and I would only take that on, though, if I was doing a whole new floor, because obviously it has to be underneath the tile. You know, there are other similar products like that that are also electric, if you don't have to have happen to have a, a hot water system, but they are very costly to run. So if that is not going to make sense for you, I would focus on the basics. I'd make sure that I have plenty of insulation, make sure that my windows and doors have good weather stripping. Um, I would suggest seriously on thinking about adding some area rugs because they make a big difference. They really do. In those floor spaces, 
uh, especially on those chilly winter mornings, because at this point, it's very difficult to add that in-floor heating unless you happen to have the systems I described. All right. Hopefully that helps and you get some area rugs and you warm up your tootsies and also a good pair of slippers. Next (laughs) up, we've got a post here from Chris who writes, my dryer vent is on the opposite side from the wall outlet and the vent hose kinks. Would it be okay to run a length of PVC pipe with elbows? Well, here's the thing about dryer vent ducts. The, every time you put an elbow in, it's the equivalent of 20 feet of straight duct. And the reason that's important is because you have too much resistance, you're going to find a couple things happen. First of all, it's going to take a lot longer for your clothes to dry. And that's just inconvenient. The other thing, but is potentially dangerous though, and that is that it becomes a lot easier for those ducts to get dirty and, and clog with dust and a lot harder to keep them clean. So conceptually, you want to have as few elbows and as few twists and turns in those dryer vent ducts as you possibly can. All right, so now let's talk about the PVC issue that you raised. And my answer to that is really, really bad idea. Not designed for the temperature of dryer exhaust gas. Yes, we do see PVC venting used for furnaces, but usually when they're very, very high efficiency furnaces and the temperatures of those exhaust gases are very, very cool compared to a dryer. So it would be a really bad idea for you to use PVC uh, or any other material to substitute for a dryer vent material. And by the way, the dryer vents that are sold that are like very flexible, not such a good idea. I would buy the hard metal dryer exhaust duct. So again, you have less friction on the inside. It'll do just a much better job getting that dryer lint out of the house. Yeah, play it safe. I mean, dryer fires are so serious and happen when you least expect it. So definitely be on the safe side. You've been listening to the Money Pit Home Improvement Show in this brand new year, a brand new show to help you with your home projects, your remodeling projects, your decor dilemmas. We are so excited to be here with you celebrating our 20th year on the air doing just this. If you've got questions, remember, you can always reach us 24-7 any time of the day or night. Our phones are answered at one eight 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 Money Pit. We are horrible people to work for. We never let our screeners see ever. Twenty four seven. Twenty four seven. They answer. No, only kidding. They 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 take shifts, but we are there to take <laughs> your questions. So feel free to call us any time of the day or night. We'd love to help you with those projects. We look forward to doing it for yet one more year. Our twentieth. Our twentieth. It's crazy. Wow. I'm Tom Kreitler. And I'm Leslie Segretti. Remember, you can do it yourself. But you don't have to do it alone. You live in a body pit.